Chapter Thirty One of the Wide, Wide World. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Wide, Wide World by Susan Warner. Chapter Thirty One. Flowers and Thorns. The next day it happened that the young people were amusing themselves with talking in a room where John Humphreys, walking up and down, was amusing himself with thinking. In the course of his walk, he began to find their amusement rather disturbing to his. The children were all grouped closely around Margaret Dunscombe, who was entertaining them with a long and very detailed account of a wedding and great party at Randolph, which she had had the happiness of attending. Eagerly fighting her battles over again, and pleased with the rapt attention of her hearers, the speaker forgot herself, and raised her voice much more than she meant to do. As every turn of his walk brought John nearer, there came to his ears sufficient bits and scraps of Margaret's story to give him a very fair sample of the whole. And he was sorry to see Ellen among the rest, and as the rest, hanging upon her lips and drinking in what seemed to him to be very poor nonsense. Her gown was all blue satin, trimmed here, and so, you know, with the most exquisite lace, as deep as that, and on the shoulders and here, you know, it was looped up with the most lovely bunches of— Here John lost the sense. When he came near again, she had got upon a different topic. "'Miss Simmons,' says I, "'what did you do that for?' "'Why,' says she, "'how could I help it?' I saw Mr. Payne coming, and I thought I'd get behind you, and so— The next time the speaker was saying with great animation, And lo and behold, when I was in the midst of all my pleasure, up comes a little gentleman of about his dimensions. He had not taken many turns, when he saw that Margaret's nonsense was branching out right and left into worse than nonsense. Ellen, said he, suddenly, I want you in the library. My conscience, said Margaret, as he left the room, King John the Second, and no less— "'Don't go on till I come back,' said Ellen. "'I won't be three minutes. Just wait for me.' She found John seated at one of the tables in the library, sharpening a pencil. "'Ellen,' said he, in his usual manner, "'I want you to do something for me.' She waited eagerly to hear what, but instead of telling her, he took a piece of drawing-paper, and began to sketch something. Ellen stood by, wondering and impatient to the last degree, not caring, however, to show her impatience— though her very feet were twitching to run back to her companions. "'Ellen,' said John, as he finished the old stump of a tree, with only one branch left on it, and a little bit of ground at the bottom, "'did you ever try your hand at drawing?' "'No,' said Ellen. "'Then sit down here,' said he, rising from his chair, "'and let me see what you can make of that.' "'But I don't know how,' said Ellen. "'I will teach you. "'There is a piece of paper, and this pencil is sharp enough. "'Is that chair too low for you?' He placed another, and with extreme unwillingness and some displeasure, Ellen sat down. It was on her tongue to ask if another time would not do, but somehow she could not get the words out. John showed her how to hold her pencil, how to place her paper, where to begin, and how to go on, and then went to the other end of the room, and took up his walk again. Ellen at first felt more inclined to drive her pencil through the paper than to make quiet marks upon it. However, necessity was upon her. She began her work— and once fairly begun, it grew delightfully interesting. Her vexation went off entirely. She forgot Margaret and her story. The wrinkles on the old trunk smoothed those on her brow, and those troublesome leaves at the branch end brushed away all thoughts of everything else. Her cheeks were burning with intense interest, when the library door burst open, and the whole troop of children rushed in. They wanted Ellen for a round game in which all their number were needed. She must come directly. "'I can't come just yet,' said she. I must finish this first. Afterwards will do just as well, said George. Come, Ellen, do. You can finish it afterwards. No, I can't, said Ellen. I can't leave till it's done. 
"'Why, I thought Mr. John was here. "'I didn't see him go out. "'I'll come in a little while.' "'Did he set you about that precious piece of business?' said William. "'Yes. "'I declare,' said Margaret, "'he's fitter to be the Grand Turk than anyone else I know.' "'I don't know who the Grand Turk is,' said Ellen. "'I'll tell you,' said William, "'putting his mouth close to her ear "'and speaking in a disagreeable loud whisper. "'It's the biggest gobbler in the yard.' "'Ain't you ashamed, William?' cried little Ellen Chauncey. "'That's it exactly,' said Margaret, always strutting about. "'He isn't a bit,' said Ellen, very angry. "'I've seen people a great deal more like gobblers than he is.' "'Well,' said William, reddening in his turn, "'I had rather, at any rate, be a good turkey gobbler "'than one of those outlandish birds that have an appetite for stones and glass "'and bits of morocco and such things. "'Come, let us leave her to do the Grand Turk's bidding. "'Come, Ellen Chauncey.' "'You mustn't stay to interrupt her. "'We want you.' "'They left her alone. "'Ellen had colored, "'but William's words did not hit very sore. "'Since John's talk with her about the matter referred to, "'she had thought of it humbly and wisely. "'It is only pride that makes such fault-finding very hard to bear. "'She was very sorry, however, "'that they had fallen out again, "'and that her own passion, as she feared, had been the cause. "'A few tears had to be wiped away "'before she could see exactly how the old tree stood.' Then, taking up her pencil, she soon forgot everything in her work. It was finished, and with head now on one side, now on the other, she was looking at her picture with very great satisfaction, when her eye caught the figure of John standing before her. "'Is it done?' said he. "'It is done,' said Ellen, smiling, as she rose up to let him come. He sat down to look at it. "'It is very well,' he said, "'better than I expected. "'It is very well, indeed. "'Is this your first trial, Ellen?' "'Yes, the first. "'You found it pleasant work?' "'Oh, very, very pleasant. "'I like it dearly.' "'Then I will teach you.' "'This shows you have a taste for it, "'and that is precisely what I wanted to find out. "'I will give you an easier copy next time. "'I rather expected, when you sat down,' said he, smiling, "'that the old tree would grow a good deal more crooked "'under your hands than I meant it to be.' "'Ellen blushed exceedingly. "'I do believe, Mr. John,' she said, stammering, "'that you know everything I am thinking about.' I might do that, Ellen, without being as wise as an oracle, but I do not expect to make any very painful discoveries in that line. Ellen thought if he did not, it would not be her fault. She truly repented her momentary anger and hasty speech to William. Not that he did not deserve it, or that it was not true, but it was unwise, and had done mischief, and it was not a bit like peacemaking, nor meek at all, Ellen said to herself. She had been reading that morning the fifth chapter of Matthew, and it ran in her head, Blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. She strove to get back a pleasant feeling towards her young companions, and prayed that she might not be angry at anything they should say. She was tried again at tea-time. Miss Sophia had quitted the table, bidding William hand the doughnuts to those who could not reach them. Marianne took a great while to make her choice. Her brother grew impatient. "'Well, I hope you have suited yourself,' said he. "'Come, Miss Montgomery, don't you be as long. My arm is tired.' "'Shut your eyes, and then you'll be sure to get the biggest one in the basket.' "'No, Ellen,' said John, who none of the children thought was near. "'It would be ungenerous. "'I wouldn't deprive Master William of his best arguments.' "'What do you mean by my arguments?' said William sharply. "'Generally those which are the most difficult to take in,' answered his tormentor with perfect gravity. Ellen tried to keep from smiling, but could not, and others of the party did not try. William and his sister were enraged.' the more because John had said nothing they could take hold of, or even repeat. Gilbert made common cause with them. "'I wish I was grown up for once,' said William. "'Will you fight me, sir?' asked Gilbert. 
who was a matter of three years older and well grown enough. His question received no answer, and was repeated. No, sir. Why not, sir? I am afraid you'd lay me up with a sprained ankle, said John, and I should not get back to Doncaster as quickly as I must. It is very mean of him, said Gilbert, as John walked away. I could whip him, I know. Who's that? said Mr. Howard Marshman. John Humphreys. John Humphreys? You had better not meddle with him, my dear fellow. It would be no particular proof of wisdom. Why, he is no such great affair, said Gilbert. He's tall enough to be sure, but I don't believe he is heavier than I am. You don't know in the first place how to judge of the size of a perfectly well-made man, and in the second place I was not a match for him a year ago. So you may judge. I do not know precisely, he went on to the lady he was walking with, what it takes to rouse John Humphreys, but when he is roused, he seems to me to have strength enough for twice his bone and muscle. I have seen him do curious things once or twice. That quiet, Mr. Humphreys? Humph, said Mr. Howard. Gunpowder is pretty quiet stuff, so long as it keeps cool. The next day another matter happened to disturb Ellen. Margaret had received an elegant pair of earrings as a Christmas present, and was showing them for the admiration of her young friends. Ellen's did not satisfy her. "'Ain't they splendid?' said she. "'Tell the truth now, Ellen Montgomery. "'Wouldn't you give a great deal if somebody would send you such a pair?' "'They are very pretty,' said Ellen. "'But I don't think I care much for such things. "'I would rather have the money.' "'Oh, you avaricious! "'Mr. Marshman,' cried Margaret, "'as the old gentleman was just then passing through the room. "'Here's Ellen Montgomery says she'd rather have money "'than anything else for her present.' "'He did not seem to hear her, "'and went out without making any reply.' "'Oh, Margaret,' said Ellen, shocked and distressed, "'how could you, how could you? "'What will Mr. Marshman think?' "'Margaret answered she didn't care what he thought. "'Ellen could only hope he had not heard. "'But a day or two after, "'when neither Ellen nor her friends were present, "'Mr. Marshman asked who it was that had told him "'Ellen Montgomery would like money "'better than anything else for her New Year's present. "'It was I, sir,' said Margaret. "'It sounds very unlike her to say so,' "'remarked Mrs. Chauncey.' "'Did she say so?' inquired Mr. Marshman. "'I understood her so,' said Margaret. "'I understood her to say she wouldn't care for anything else.' "'I am disappointed in her,' said the old gentleman. "'I wouldn't have believed it.' "'I do not believe it,' said Mrs. Chauncey quietly. "'There has been some mistake.' It was hard for Ellen now to keep to what she thought right. Disagreeable feelings would rise when she remembered the impoliteness, the half-sneer, the whole taunt, and the real unkindness of several of the young party. She found herself ready to be irritated, inclined to dislike the sight of those, even wishing to visit some sort of punishment upon them. But Christian principle had taken strong hold in little Ellen's heart. She fought her evil tempers manfully. It was not an easy battle to gain. Ellen found that resentment and pride had roots deep enough to keep her pulling up the shoots for a good while. She used to get alone when she could, to read a verse, if no more of her Bible, and pray. She could forgive William and Margaret more easily then. Solitude and darkness saw many a prayer and tear of hers that week. As she struggled thus to get rid of sin, and to be more like what would please God, she grew humble and happy. Never was such a struggle carried on by faith in Him without success. And after a time, though a twinge of the old feeling might come, it was very slight. She would bid William and Margaret good morning, and join them in any enterprise of pleasure or business, with a brow as unclouded as the sun. They, however, were too conscious of having behaved unbecomingly towards her little stranger guest to be over-fond of her company. For the most part, she and Ellen Chauncey were left to each other. Meanwhile, the famous needle-book was in a fair way to be finished. 
great dismay had at first been excited in the breast of the intended giver by the discovery that gilbert had consulted in what seemed to be a very extraordinary fancy in making the rose a yellow one ellen did her best to comfort her she asked alice and found there were such things as yellow roses and they were very beautiful too and besides it would match so nicely the yellow butterfly on the other leaf i had rather it wouldn't match said ellen chauncey and it don't match the rose-colored silk besides are the yellow roses sweet no said ellen but this couldn't have been a sweet rose at any rate you know oh but said the other bursting into a fresh passion of inconsolable tears i wanted it should be the picture of a sweet rose and i think he might have put up a purple butterfly yellow butterflies are so common i had a great deal rather have had a purple butterfly and a red rose what cannot be cured however must be endured the tears were dried in course of time and the needle-book with its yellow pictures and pink edges was very neatly finished ellen had been busy too on her own account alice had got a piece of fine linen for her from miss sophia the collar for mr van brunt had been cut out and ellen with great pleasure had made it the stitching the strings and the very buttonhole after infinite pains were all finished by thursday night she had also made a needle-case for alice not of so much pretension as the other one this was green morocco lined with crimson satin no leaves but ribbon stitched in to hold papers of needles and a place for a bodkin ellen worked very hard at this it was made with the extremest care and made beautifully ellen chauncey admired it very much and anew lamented the uncouth variety of colors in her own it was a grave question whether pink or yellow ribbon should be used for the latter ellen montgomery recommended pink she herself inclined to yellow and tired of doubting at last resolved to split the difference and put one string of each color ellen thought that did not mend matters but wisely kept her thoughts to herself besides the needle case for alice she had snatched the time whenever she could get away from ellen chauncey to work at something for her she had begged alice's advice and help and between them out of ellen's scraps of morocco and silk they had manufactured a little bag of all the colors of the rainbow and very pretty and tasteful withal ellen thought it a shade of ray and was unbounded in her admiration it lay folded up in white paper in a locked drawer ready for new year's day in addition to all these pieces of business john had begun to give her drawing lessons according to his promise these became ellen's delight she would willingly have spent much more time upon them than he would allow her it was the most loved employment of the day her teacher's skill was not greater than the perfect gentleness and kindness with which he taught ellen thought of mr howard's speech about gunpowder she could not understand it what is your conclusion on the whole asked john one day as he stood beside her mending a pencil why said ellen laughing and blushing how could you guess what i was thinking about mr john not very difficult when you were eyeing me so hard i was thinking said ellen i don't know whether it is right in me to tell it because somebody said you well we're like gunpowder very kind of somebody and so you have been in doubt of an explosion no i don't know i wondered what he meant never believe what you hear said of people ellen judge for yourself look here that house has suffered from a severe gale of wind i should think all the uprights are slanting off to the right can't you set it up straight ellen laughed at the tumble-down condition of the house as thus pointed out to her and set about reforming it it was thursday afternoon that alice and ellen were left alone in the library several of the family having been called out to receive some visitors alice had excused herself and ellen as soon as they were gone nestled up to her side 
"'How pleasant it is to be alone together, dear Alice. "'I don't have you even at night now. "'It is very pleasant, dear Ellie. "'Home will not look disagreeable again, will it, "'even after all our gaiety here? "'No, indeed, at least, your home won't. "'I don't know what mine will. "'Oh, me, I had almost forgotten Aunt Fortune. "'Never mind, dear Ellie. "'You and I have each something to bear. "'We must be brave and bear it manfully. "'There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, you know.' We shan't be unhappy if we do our duty and love him. How soon is Mr. John going away? Not for all next week, and so long as he stays, I don't mean that you shall leave me. Ellen cried for joy. I can manage it with misfortune, I know, said Alice. These fine drawing lessons must not be interrupted. John is very much pleased with your performances. Is he, said Ellen, delighted. I have taken all the pains I could. That is the sure way to success, Ellie. "'But, Ellie, I want to ask you something. "'What was that you said to Margaret Dunscombe "'about wanting money for a New Year's present?' "'You know it, then?' cried Ellen, starting up. "'Oh, I'm so glad. "'I wanted to speak to you about it, "'so I didn't know what to do, "'and I thought I oughtn't to. "'What shall I do about it, dear Alice? "'How did you know? "'George said you were not there.' "'Mrs. Chauncey told me. "'She thought there had been some mistake or something wrong. "'How was it, Ellen?' Why, said Ellen, she was showing us her earrings, and asking us what we thought of them, and she asked me if I wouldn't like to have such a pair, and I thought I would a great deal rather have the money they cost, to buy other things with, you know, that I would like better, and I said so. And just then Mr. Marshman came in, and she called out to him loud that I wanted money for a present, or would like it better than anything else, or something like that. Oh, Alice, how I felt! I was frightened. But then I hoped Mr. Marshman did not hear her for he did not say anything. But the next day George told me all about what she had been saying in there, and, oh, it made me so unhappy, said poor Ellen, looking very dismal. What will Mr. Marshman think of me? He will think I expected a present, and I never dreamed of such a thing. It makes me ashamed to speak of it, even, and I can't bear he should think so. I can't bear it. What shall I do, dear Alice? I don't know what you can do, dear Ellie, but be patient. "'Mr. Marshman will not think anything very hard of you, I dare say. "'But I think he does already. "'He hasn't kissed me since that as he did before. "'I know he does, and I don't know what to do. "'How could Margaret say that? "'Oh, how could she? "'It was very unkind. "'What can I do?' said Ellen again after a pause, "'and wiping away a few tears. "'Couldn't Mrs. Chauncey tell Mr. Marshman "'not to give me anything, for that I never expected it, "'and would a great deal rather not? "'Why, no, Ellie.' I do not think that would be exactly the best or most dignified way. What then, dear Alice, I'll do just as you say. I would just remain quiet. But Ellen says the things are all put on the plates in the morning, and if there should be money on mine, I don't know what I should do. I should feel so badly. I couldn't keep it, Alice. I couldn't. Very well, you need not. But remain quiet in the meanwhile. And if it should be so, then say what you please, only take care that you say it in the right spirit, and in a right manner. "'Nobody can hurt you much, my child, while you keep the even path of duty. "'Poor Margaret is her own worst enemy. "'Then, if there should be money in the morning, "'I may tell Mr. Marshman the truth about it?' "'Certainly. Only do not be in haste. Speak gently.' "'Oh, I wish everybody would be kind and pleasant always,' said poor Ellen, but half comforted. "'What a sigh there was,' said John, coming in. "'What is the matter with my little sister?' "'Some of the minor trials of life, John,' said Alice, with a smile." "'What is the matter, Ellie?' "'Oh, something you can't help,' said Ellen. "'And something I mustn't know. "'Well, to change the scene, "'suppose you go with me to visit the greenhouse and hothouses. "'Have you seen them yet?' 
No, said Ellen, as she eagerly sprang forward to take his hand. Ellen promised to go with me, but we have been so busy. Will you come, Alice? Not I, said Alice. I wish I could, but I shall be wanted elsewhere. By whom, I wonder, so much as by me, said her brother. However, after to-morrow, I will have you all to myself. As he and Ellen were crossing the hall, they met Mrs. Marshman. Where are you going, John? said she. Where I ought to have been before, ma'am, to pay my respects to Mr. Hutchinson. You have not seen him yet? That is very ungrateful of you. Hutchinson is one of your warmest friends and admirers. There are few people he mentions with so much respect, or that he is so glad to see, as Mr. John Humphreys. A distinction I owe, I fear, principally to my English blood, said John, shaking his head. It is not altogether that, said Mrs. Marshman, laughing, though I do believe I am the only Yankee good Hutchinson has ever made up his mind entirely to like. But go and see him, do. He will be very much pleased." "'Who is Mr. Hutchinson?' said Ellen, as they went on. "'He is the gardener, or rather the head-gardener. "'He came out with his master some thirty or forty years ago. "'But his old English prejudice will go to the grave with him, I believe. "'But why don't he like the Americans?' "'John laughed. "'It would never do for me to attempt to answer that question, Ellie. "'Fond of going to the bottom of things as you are. "'We should just get to hard fighting about tea-time, "'and should barely make peace by midday to-morrow, "'at the most moderate calculation.' You shall have an answer to your question, however. Ellen could not conceive what he meant, but resolved to wait for his promised answer. As they entered the large and beautifully kept greenhouse, Hutchinson came from the further end of it to meet them, an old man of most respectable appearance. He bowed very civilly, and then slipped his pruning knife into his left hand to leave the right at liberty for John, who shook it cordially. "'And why haven't you been to see me before, Mr. John? I've thought it rather art of you.' "'Miss Alice has come several times. "'The ladies have more leisure, Mr. Hutchinson. "'You look flourishing here.' "'Why, yes, sir, pretty middling, within doors. "'But I don't like the climate, Mr. John. "'I don't like the climate, sir. "'There's no country like England, I believe, for my business. "'Ears a fine rose, sir, if you'll step a bit this way. "'Quite a new kind. "'I got it over last autumn. "'The Palmerston it is. "'Those are fine buds, sir.' "'The old gentleman was evidently much pleased to see his visitor.' and presently plunged him deep into English politics, for which he seemed to have lost no interest by forty years' life in America. As Ellen could not understand what they were talking about, she quitted John's side, and went wandering about by herself. From the moment the sweet aromatic smell of the plants had greeted her, she had been in a high state of delight, and now, lost to all the world beside, from the mystery of one beautiful and strange green thing to another, she went wondering and admiring, and now and then timidly advancing her nose, to see if something glorious was something sweet, too. She could hardly leave a superb cactus, in the petals of which there was such a singular blending of scarlet and crimson as to almost dazzle her sight, and if the pleasure of smell could intoxicate, she would have reeled away from a luxuriant Daphne odorata in full flower, over which she feasted for a long time. The variety of green leaves alone was a marvel to her, some rough and brown-streaked, some shining as if they were varnished, others of hair-like delicacy of structure, all lovely. At last she stood still with admiration, and almost held her breath before a white camellia. "'What does that flower make you think of, Ellen?' said John, coming up. His friend the gardener had left him to seek a newspaper in which he wished to show him a paragraph. "'I don't know,' said Ellen. "'I couldn't think of anything but itself.' It reminds me of what I ought to be, and of what I shall be if I ever see heaven. It seems to me the emblem of a sinless, pure spirit. 
looking up in fearless spotlessness. Do you remember what was said to the old church of Sardis? Thou hast a few names that have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The tears rushed to Ellen's eyes. She felt she was so very unlike this. But Mr. Hutchinson coming back prevented anything more from being said. She looked at the white camellia. It seemed to speak to her. "'That's the paragraph, sir,' said the old gardener, giving the paper to John. "'Ears a little lady that is fond of flowers, if I don't make a mistake. This is somebody I've not seen before. Is this the little lady Miss Helen was telling me about?' "'I presume so,' said John. "'She is Miss Ellen Montgomery, a sister of mine, Mr. Hutchinson, and Mr. Marshman's guest.' "'By both names entitled to my greatest respect,' said the old man, stepping back and making a very low bow to Ellen." with his hand upon his heart, at which she could not help laughing. "'I am very glad to see Miss Ellen. What can I do to make her remember old Hutchinson? Would Miss Ellen like a bouquet?' Ellen did not venture to say yes, but her blush and sparkling eyes answered him. The old gardener understood her, and was as good as his word. He began with cutting a beautiful sprig of a large purple geranium, then a slip of lemon myrtle. Ellen watched him as the bunch grew in his hand, and could hardly believe her eyes as one beauty after another was added to what became a most elegant bouquet. And most sweet, too, to her joy, the delicious Daphne and fragrant lemon blossom went to make part of it. Her thanks, when it was given her, were made with few words, but with all her face, the old gardener smiled, and was quite satisfied that his gift was not thrown away. He afterwards showed them his hothouses, where Ellen was astonished and very much interested to see ripe oranges and lemons in abundance, and pine, too, such as she had been eating since she came to Ventnor, thinking nothing less than that they grew so near home. The grapes had all been cut. There was to be quite a party at Ventnor in the evening of New Year's Day. Ellen knew this, and destined her precious flowers for Alice's adornment. How to keep them in the meanwhile? She consulted Mr. John, and, according to his advice, took them to Mrs. Bland, the housekeeper, to be put in water, and kept in a safe place for her till the time. She knew Mrs. Bland, for Ellen Chauncey and she had often gone to her room to work, where none of the children would find and trouble them. Mrs. Bland promised to take famous care of the flowers, and said she would do it with the greatest pleasure. Mr. Marshman's guests, she added, smiling, must have everything they wanted. "'What does that mean, Mrs. Bland?' said Ellen. "'Why, you see, Miss Ellen, there's a great deal of company always coming.' and some as Miss Gillespie's friends, and some Mr. Howard's, and some to see Miss Sophia more particularly, and some belong to Mrs. Marshman, or the whole family, maybe, but now and then Mr. Marshman has an old English friend or so that he sets the greatest store by, and them he calls his guests, and the best in the house is hardly good enough for them, or the country either. And so I am one of Mr. Marshman's guests, said Ellen. I didn't know what it meant." She saved out one little piece of rose geranium from her flowers for the gratification of her own nose, and skipped away through the hall to rejoin her companions, very light-hearted indeed. End of chapter 31